0: I'll, I'll start off by introducing myself. Um, I'm Vinod Shah. I am the director of the International Christian Medical and Dental Association. But uh, I have been working with mission hospitals for perhaps more than 25 years. And so what I'm presenting today are some discussions with our colleagues about how to be creative in medical missions so that we are able to manage with uh, resource poor setting. I'll give you an outline of what uh, I'm going to talk about. First of all uh, biblical basis of creativity and then I'm going to talk to you about impact centric thinking rather than organizational centric thinking And then um, I'm going to talk about challenging our assumptions so that, you know, we are always caught up in paradigms. And so challenging our assumptions helps us to change the paradigm. Can you all hear, by the way? And then I'm going to present a a grid approach for us to think creatively. And then um, I'm going to present three ideas from a book by Edward de Bono. Many of you have heard of Edward de Bono? Okay. Um, that is called the random word juxtaposition, and I'll explain to you what that means. And then the provocation approach, and then the six thinking hats approach. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the neuroscience of focused thinking and diffuse thinking, and how diffuse thinking is related to creativity and then brainstorming and finally about the quality of leadership that fosters creativity. Um, The word create is mentioned 86 times in the Bible and it is always in relationship to God and never human beings. And um, in the writings of philosophers and theologians a particular researcher, he could not find any reference to human beings as creators. It was always about God. The reference to a human being as a creator started only sometime in the 15th century. And so, um, (coughs) it was often thought as blasphemous to talk of human beings as a creative person. But then, We can think of human beings as a sub-creator. That was Tolkien's... You must have heard of Lord of the Rings and the J.R. Tolkien. He said human beings can be thought of as sub-creators, creators creators under God. Like Father, God is the Father, but human beings can be also fathers, but a small f. God is the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but human beings are also uh, salt and light. Uh, God is a creator, and human beings is a sub-creator. So that is the way to understand creativity. But then, the way we create is radically different from the way God creates. God created ex nihilo. That means, from nothing, he created something. But man can create only ex materia. That means, only if he has something, can he create something else. So it is always ex materia, <clears throat> and everything that man creates is a combination of concepts that he has in his brain, unlike God who is completely creative. Um, God's creative ways, it was very good, you know, excellence. and then it was economical. God spoke, and everything happened. Um, it was beautiful. David talks about the glory of creation, interdependent. You know, all things hold together in him. They are all interdependent and purposeful. There was a telos in his creation. It was going in a particular direction. And uh, man can only connect several thoughts. He can mix and match thoughts. He can copy thoughts that were... They're, they're already there. And, or he can modify thoughts, but he can never create anything radically new. So the, the first, firstly we are going to look at thinking impact. As the name suggests, the principle is to work outwards from impact. That means you start with the impact and then you ask the question, What are the ways in which we can make this impact? Uh, Normally, what organizations do and what a lot of the managers will do is to start with the organization. You start with the hospital and then uh, you have a vision and a mission statement and then you have a strategic plan and then you have goals and objectives, Uh, so you are thinking organization centric. The organization is at the center, you have a SWOT, the strengths and weakness and opportunities and threats and then you see how you can make the impact. Now that is radically different from starting with the impact and talking about all the possible ways in which you can make an impact. You know, health impact. Health impact can be made by you know, nutrition, by economy, uh, you know, by micro-enterprise. It can be made by good health policies, just health policies, by knowledge, uh, and, of course, by provision of health services that are accessible. And so, you know, you can make a big chart about the health impact. And then you ask the question, how can my organizational make all these impacts? Is it possible? What ways in which the organization can help make this impact. Now that way of thinking, you are likely to be more creative than if you start with the organization. So the first principle is not organizational centric thinking, but impact thinking, and then asking the question, how can my organization make this particular impact? You can stop me anytime uh, you have a comment or a question. Um, <clears throat> very often, uh, you know, when you go to a mission hospital and then ask the administrator, how are things going? And he will say, uh, things are going very well. For This year, we have been financially sustainable. And then you ask the doctor, how are things going in the hospital? And he'd say, uh, it's doing very well. We've had, uh, you know, 300 patients a day for the last this for the last year. They are thinking process. Now, it's not wrong to think about process, but we are often limited in our thinking. We don't think impact. We're always thinking process. And so we need to shift from organizational thinking, from process thinking, to thinking impact. Okay. uh, The second point was about uh, making new connections. Now, I've said that human beings can never be truly creative. All that they can do is to use the different ideas that they have in the brain and connect them in a new way. They can mix and match to make something new, but they can never have anything that is radically new. So, uh, the basis of human creativity is to make new connections to mix and match new experiences and new ideas and new concepts. Now, how can you do that? <clears throat> you know, uh, you have a lot of knowledge, and what we want to do based on experience is to connect them in a new way. <clears throat> um, what often happens is that we tend to think along a particular way because of let's say what we have been told or because of the protocols or because of uh, what because of the history of the organization we tend to tend to do the same thing again and again and so what happens is those connections in the brain become deeply grooved and we are not able to think laterally we cannot think in any other way so what uh, this, what the suggestion is to have a radically new idea that doesn't make any sense at all and then connect it to what you want to achieve. Now, I'll give an example. <clears throat> uh, identify the problem you're solving, select a random, I'll give an example of all that. Select a random word, put up the word for a group, write six other words associated with it. And try and make connections between the six words and the problem. Now, give you, I'll give you an example here. Uh, <coughs> maternal mortality is what you want to achieve. And then you think of a random word. That's, let's say it's a bird. You know, just absolutely random. <coughs> and then six words associated with the bird. One is cage, chirping, binoculars, bird watching, you know, a nest, <coughs> Uh, colorful and wings. And then you begin to say, how are these things going to help with maternal mortality? And so uh, we did this in a group. And then chirping, you can say mobile phone. Uh, The mother can carry a mobile phone, which is just uh, connected to one person so that when she has an emergency, she calls and an ambulance comes and picks her up, because access is an important factor in maternal mortality. Binoculars. Can we monitor the mother from a distance? Can we have a school teacher go and see her regularly? You know, stuff like that. Uh, Next, one of the problems in India, for example, is that the mother-in-law does not want to spend money on the daughter in law's delivery especially if it is going to be expensive and so uh, she would like the mother to deliver at home so that it is completely inexpensive so she is not supportive of the mother of the daughter in law and so what you can do is provide work towards family support so that in one of our hospitals there was what was what is called the mother in laws club all the, mother, all the uh, women who are delivering, the mothers-in-law, were called for a meeting, and then they meet regularly and discuss what should be done when there's a problem like that. And so the to-be-mother begins to have family support. <clears throat> uh, this really didn't fit in, but uh, the mother could wear distinct clothes so that the village knows that uh, she would need help at some stage. Uh, Wings is ambulance service that is available at her beck and call. And then restrict travel. What happens in India is the mother does her antenatal service in a particular hospital. But when the time for delivery comes, she goes to a different place. And so all history is lost. Um, And so what we could do is we could tell the mother, see, it is very important that you restrict your travel. Either you stay here till you deliver, or you go to your mother-in-law's house till you deliver. But we don't want you to travel, do antenatal in one place and deliver another place. So, you know, you you just used a random word, and you come up with a lot of ideas. So it is possible to keep generating these ideas. Not all of this will be useful, but you can generate a lot of ideas by... uh, you know, juxtapositioning a word and trying to see uh, what makes sense. So that is what we have done here. You know, we have thought of, we've said a word and we've used six words there and then we are connecting it to the main uh, this is about reducing maternal mortality. So this is a Random uh, lateral thinking using a random word. The way to do it is identify the problem, select a random word, put up a word for a group, write six of the words, and make connections. Okay, and then um, it's about challenging assumptions. We all have assumptions about what we are doing. You'll be surprised by the number of assumptions you make in every department. In the outpatient department, in the surgical department, in the inpatient, in the ward, in the community health services, uh, investigation lab, every department you have assumptions and we work on these assumptions. What we need to do, I'm giving you some examples of assumptions that can be challenged. Doctors are necessary to make a health impact on a community. Now that is an assumption that can be challenged. Um, we know that uh, community health and development work can make a big impact, but this assumption is still prevalent among quite a lot of, you know, health uh, health policy makers. <clears throat> Other assumptions is a mission hospital. A typical mission hospital is making a health impact. A typical mission hospital that does not have uh, community health and development work or a hospital that does not have church planting work will not make a health impact. They will be only helping with the you know, illnesses. Health superstitions go away with primary education. Actually that is not true. Health superstitions go away only with a change in the world view. They do not go away with primary education. We have examples of uh, professors of OBGYN who have gone to, uh, gone to Tantrics, that means Hindu sort of godmen, for solving problems. You know, they have that superstition, even though they are highly educated. Uh, the other assumption is, I'm not saying that the assumptions are right or wrong, but these are our assumptions. All the staff of a Christian hospital should be Christian. Uh, Mission hospital should not work with secular agencies. Now, these are all the assumptions we have. They need to be challenged and revisited. This is not a discussion about the assumptions. This is a discussion about creativity. I am just giving you examples about assumptions. Every hospital staff must have formal university accredited training. That is an assumption. Mission hospital is a centerpiece of medical missions. Unless you have a mission hospital, you can't do medical mission work. That is the assumption. Christians cannot work in government hospitals in developing countries because the government hospitals are corrupt. Now that is an assumption. We are working on these assumptions. Super specializations means more impact. The more you are qualified and the more you are specialized, the more impact you will make on the health of the community. Allowing the patients to talk for too long is a waste of time. You must stop them and then ask them more uh, you know, these are all assumptions that we have made. They need to be challenged. And the way to do it is <clears throat> break your organization. If it is a mission hospital, you break it up into an outpatient department, the investigation, the lab, you know, emergency, admin, inpatient, human resource, spiritual ministry, community development, you know. And then in each department, um, have a group. And ask the group to talk about what are the assumptions that govern each of these subunits. What are your assumptions which you are taking for granted, which don't even come into your consciousness, you know, where they are all subconscious assumptions. And then challenge each other's assumptions. And ask yourself, is this really right? Be willing to hypothesize. That means you create a hypothesis saying, um, Christians can work in a government hospital and make an impact. Now that is an hypothesis. So that is an alternative. And then you experiment with that. So uh, this is another way of being creative. You know, um, challenging your assumptions and then uh, creating an alternative and experimenting. <coughs> and then um, This is Edward De Bono's uh, idea. It's called the provocation approach. The provocation approach is a uh, nonsense seeming wish. You make a wish that seems absolutely preposterous. Um, For example, cars run out of gas after a few hundred miles. Now that's the problem. And the provocation is invent a car that tows a gas station behind it. Or invent a car that runs on air. You know, it it seems like nonsense. But I'll give you an example of how such a provocation actually changed the paradigm of eye surgery. Uh, In 1962, a leading ophthalmologist, he said, cataract surgery has been developed to its ultimate state. And any improvements from this date will be insignificant. That means it's absolutely perfect. And then this chap, Charles Kelman, he said, he, he provoked, this is the provocation approach. He said, develop a method for removing cataract through an incision small enough so that no sutures and no hospitalization is required. How can you remove a lens which is so big from a so small an incision? You would say that's not nonsense. And he proposed this to a funding agency, and the funding agency actually gave him money to experiment with it. And he said, I'm going to come up with an idea in three years' time. And for two years and eight months, nothing happened. And then he was having some dental work done, and the dentists were using an ultrasonic probe. And then suddenly it clicked. He said, I'm going to use an ultrasonic probe to emulsify the lens and the lens will become an empty bag and then I will remove it from that very small incision. And you know how this has radically changed the nature of eye or cataract surgery. It all happened because he uh, thought of a very preposterous, thought of, uh, thought of a suggestion that seemed like a nonsense suggestion. Um, we have... You, you, there are many things. I'm giving you some examples of uh, a provocation approach. Miniaturize a hospital like a health kiosk. Can you have a one-room hospital with lots of gadgets attached to it that is not seen, but everything can be done quickly and have many kiosks all over the place? Can, you, can the patient write his or her own history sheet prompted by a computer? You know, the patient registers online on a hospital. Now that is being done everywhere, even in India. You register online, you get an appointment online. Can you go one step further and the patient writes her own or his own history, the complaint and then the the computer will prompt saying, do you have this? Do you have this? He keeps answering the question and he goes to the hospital with a history sheet. Can every hotel be a hospital and every hospital a hotel? Because, you know, they have hospitality services common to both. (coughs) Can childhood vaccinations be delivered by a postman? Because the postman knows the village and the community very well. He knows every family. He knows which family has got how many children. And so can he provide the vaccinations So, you know, you're delivering the vaccinations at home rather than children being brought to a center. (coughs) Can patients earn and work while they are waiting for doctors? Can do patients have to wait for two hours and three hours? In India, they wait for six, seven, eight hours for the consultant. Can they do some productive work while they are waiting? Can we make that possible? (coughs) So uh, these are some examples of provocation. And, you know, if you think like this, you will become creative and you will be able to solve some problems. <clears throat> for example, uh, you know, we you use uh, not silastic, but uh, the mesh for hernia, hernia repair. You use a silastic mesh you know, that costs about uh, $200 for the mesh itself costs $200. And hernia is such a common thing. And so uh, lots of poor people have hernias. And so once one of our doctors in EHS said, why don't we use a mosquito net, a nylon mosquito net instead of, uh, you know, um, silastic mesh. And so uh, he boiled it, but then, you know, when you boil a mosquito net, something goes wrong with it. And so uh, They used ethylene oxide and then they sterilized it and then they used it and it's being used now for hernia repair. Did you know? And it doesn't cost anything because you know you have a mosquito net and you can make lots of, lots of grafts. So, and then the grid approach is another way to be creative. The grid approach is you have Curative, you want to make a curative impact, emotional impact, or whatever, social impact, preventive health impact, promotive health impact, spiritual impact on the top. And on this side, you can write maybe 50 things, you know, mobile phone, education, village leaders, school children, uh, community intervention, this, 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 you know. And then ask a group to keep thinking of what they can do to make this particular impact. So you will get a whole lot of ideas about how to make a curative impact, how to make, you know, all sorts of impacts. <clears throat> so this is the, a grid approach. <clears throat> and then um, we all know that emotions play a very important part and perceptions play a very important part in the way you think. When you feel pessimistic, You feel a particular thing will not work. When you feel optimistic, you feel this idea will work. And when you, uh, we are all, we all have different, uh, we are all made differently. And so, uh, some people want everything done in an orderly fashion, some people are willing to take risks, others others are always pessimistic, they are always challenging, they always think negatively, that is not bad so um, what edward debono suggested is that we should wear six different kinds of hats <clears throat> one is white hat that just provides the absolute basic information as it is just the bare facts and then you wear a yellow hat which is an optimistic hat you always say yeah we can make it work why not you know we can remove a lens through a very small incision no problem <clears throat> And then, uh, the black hat is the devil's advocate, you know, always thinking negatively, saying no, you can't do it, there will be this problem, no, there will be this problem. And then, the red hat signifies feelings. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you did this? We will achieve a vision in five years. The whole village will be, you know, filled with the kingdom The kingdom of God would have arrived in this place, you know, so they have these feelings. Uh, and then, the the green hat it's a creative hat um, always thinking of alternatives has full of suggestions about possibilities and then the blue hat is the chairman the who gives opportunities to all the five hats to talk so this is another way to have a discussion you know people wearing different hats and uh, making suggestions based on their hats <clears throat> this is a, a mind map of the six thinking hats and what they need to do. You can look this up in Edward de Bono. And then uh, I want to present to you some uh, research on neuroscience that uh, will give us some idea about creative thinking. There are two main ways of thinking. One is the focused thinking and one is the diffuse thinking. Have any of you heard of this? Now uh, this is uh, Gary Kasparov he's playing chess against uh, Magnus he is keenly focused on the chessboard and he's thinking about what move to make and what are the pros and cons of making a particular move now that is called focus thinking <coughs> Uh, but this guy, Magnus, he is going for a walk. He has seen the board. He has seen the possibilities. Now he just wants to he stopped thinking in a focused manner. He is thinking about uh, nothing in particular, but he is allowing all the thoughts to go through his brain and make connections. Now that is called diffuse thinking. So there is the focused thinking, and there is the diffuse thinking. You cannot think diffusely while you're focused, and you cannot focus when you want to do diffuse thinking. This is just a picture of focus, you know, focused thinking and a diffuse light. Now these are the differences. <clears throat> Playing chess, or le- reading a legal document, relaxed reflection after focused thinking. Focused thinking is very conscious thinking, and this is unconscious thinking. You know, there is some fo- diffuse thinking that happens when you sleep. During your REM sleep, some focused thinking happens, especially if you have read something just before you sleep. And then uh, in your REM sleep, there is some kind of a diffuse thinking that happens. In focus thinking, the forebrain is used. In diffuse thinking, the whole brain is used. Now these are just pictures of uh, you know, fo- focused thinking and diffuse thinking, focused thinking and diffuse thinking. <clears throat> um, it is said that Thomas Edison, he invented I think some 60 things and has got so many patents, hundreds of patents. Um, he popularized what is called the bed, bath or the bus approach after focus thinking for thinking diffusely uh, he didn't use the word diffuse thinking but he said after I grapple with a problem I either go to bed or I have a bath I travel in a bus <clears throat> uh, scripturally also you know you read a passage of scripture carefully find out all the, uh, the context and the text and understand that well and then you meditate you know, that is diffuse thinking because without the meditation, just the reading of the scripture in itself is not going to help you very much. <clears throat> um, now, double, this is called the double thinking. Now, double thinking helps with comprehension and creativity. It helps us to understand the concept, first of all. And then it also helps us to be creative. And thirdly, it also helps with chunking. Any of you know what chunking means <clears throat> uh, chunking is breaking up the facts into digestible chunks you know a sim- chunks that you can understand you're breaking it up i'll give you some examples, and when you do that it you it converts the information from the short term into the long term uh, short term memory and the long-term memory is just like the computer, you know. Uh, The short-term memory in the human mind stays only for about a minute, and when you get older, it stays for even less. But when it goes into the long-term memory, you can recall it. How to convert short-term memory into long-term memory is by chunking. I'll give you an example. Now, John chapter 15, you read the whole chapter, and then you break it up into three parts, relationship with God, verses 1 to 11, relationship with the church, verses 12 to 17, and relationship with the world, 18 to 27. You know, so you've got three chunks in uh, the John chapter 15, and you'll you find that easy to understand. And remember, uh, this is my phone number, um, but I've broken it into chunks like you do here in the U.S., we don't do it in India. But uh, the 1947 is my year of birth, 495 is the number of my car, the older car that I had. So you've broken it up into this chunk and it's easy to remember. This is another example of chunking. You know, you have a list. If your wife gives you a list for purchasing, you can chunk it into frozen foods, dairy, bakery, fruits and vegetables. So when you break it up into chunks, you can convert what you have read from the short term into the long term memory. What is the importance of that? Importance of that is for example the good Samaritan story I have broken it into three chunks reaction of the priest reaction of the Levite and the reaction of the Samaritan and then you can chunk it down that means who is a priest what is his actual job description uh... Jesus was a priest, we are a priest, how do you understand priest, priesthood, you know, you ask those details. Then you ask the details about the Levite. Who is the Levite? What is his job description? Uh, who is, uh, his Levitic function? What are his Levitic functions? So on. And who is a Samaritan? What are the prejudices? Where do they come from? That is chunk, that's called chunking down. That means getting more detail. But chunking up means what is the lesson we learn from this regarding medical mission? How does it affect, uh, what is the lesson for it from this for me today? What is the lesson from this for my organization? That is chunking up. But you know, we never chunk up. Can you tell me why we never chunk up? We always chunk down, but we don't chunk up. Because chunking up requires change. It, it challenges our assumptions, it challenges the way we function. So we never chunk up, we always chunk down. So to be creative, you have to always chunk up. When you read something, get all the details, do a Bible study, look at the dictionary and all that, that is chunking down. But then you have to ask now, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for my organization? How can it influence the work I'm doing today? Uh, so when you do that, it is actually can be threatening, but it is extremely rewarding because this is what will help you to change uh, you know, your direction and produce creativity. So chunking up is about creativity. Chunking down is just getting learning and getting more details. <clears throat> uh, a newly employed doctor You know, he will often, when he gets a job, he will say, what is my job description? How can I increase my competence? How can I increase my salary? How can I get my promotion? He will ask all those questions. But the question he will not ask is, why am I doing this? What does God want me to, why does God want me to take this job? You know, that question he will not ask, because it's a very threatening question. But it is in asking those questions that he will be truly creative. So chunking up as a way of being creative. These are just... uh, Okay, now uh, we go on to brainstorming. Um, Diffuse thinking, I said, is about connecting all the ideas. Now, um, for connecting lots of ideas, you have to have enough ideas. If you don't have enough ideas, you cannot connect the ideas together. It is because of this that a person who has had a broad education, you know, a classical education, is more likely to be creative than a a computer whiz who has spent all his life just doing computers. But a person who has done you know, he has read Greek and Latin and history and geography and other things, and also have done medicine, is more likely to be creative, because then he has different kinds of ideas that he can connect. And so what to do when you don't have enough ideas? Suppose, you know, you're not uh, all that well-read, and you want to be creative. Then what you do is brainstorming. The best way to have a good idea is to have lots of ideas. This is what Linus Pauling said uh, and that is true because in diffuse thinking you have to have a lot of ideas that can be connected. Now there are rules of brainstorming. Everyone must have a say. All ideas are equally uh, valued or valid. No criticism or other people's ideas allowed so that people are free to say whatever they want. There are at least a couple of different ways that brainstorming can be done. One is, everyone follows up on an initial idea, feeding off it to generate new ones until an old point is reached on that idea, until an end point is reached, at which point the group turns to new ideas and does the same. The other way of doing it is, get the group to come up with lots of ideas, and then you prioritize you know, what ideas you want to work with. These are some details about uh, brainstorming. You can look it up on the Internet. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going the wrong direction. Okay, and the quality of leadership and creativity. Now, uh, creativity uh, is it's now an extremely important thing Because the rate of change is so rapid that anyone who is not creative will be thrown by the wayside. Even Christian organizations will not be able to cope. And so uh, creativity in organizations is important. So how can we have creativity in an organization? Does it mean that the CEO has to be creative? Uh, Not necessarily. What the CEO has to do is create a culture of creativity in the organization. If he creates a culture of creativity in the organization, then he doesn't necessarily have to be creative. He gets all the employees in the organization to contribute to new ideas. And This is what they have found, that organizations that have creative culture is where the employees contribute greatly and uh, foster creativity for the organization. What they have also found is hierarchical structure impedes creativity. Now, this is also very Christian. You know, if you have someone who is right at the top, and then people at the bottom cannot talk to the person on top, which is called power distance. You know, if the power distance is very high, then people are not going to talk to each other, and creative ideas are not going to come. And so for creative ideas to come, it has to be a flattish organization. And then uh you have to have a multi ethnic, multidisciplinary team. I already told you about how creativity is all about making connections. Making connections is about having many ideas. And it's not simply about many ideas, but it's about many ideas from different disciplines. Because Truth does not respect human-made disciplinary boundaries. Just because we say this is biology, biology stops here and chemistry starts here, it doesn't work like that. In real life, chemistry and biology, you know, they, there is a very fuzzy line. And therefore, we have to have uh, a multi-ethnic, multi-disciplinary team who uh, work in the organization. <clears throat> They also found that multi-identity integration, for example, a doctor, pastor, a lady surgeon and a manager, a nurse and a counselor, that sort of combination also helps creativity. And then uh, intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation. You know, you can, you can say, I'm going to give a thousand dollar reward to anyone who gives a creative idea. That's an extensive motivation. You know, you're motivating from outside. But there is such a thing as intrinsic motivation. That means you are asking the employees to pursue their own passion. You pursue what you really enjoy. And if you come up with some idea that is good for the organization, you share it. But if if you don't come up with anything, that's fine. We just want you to enjoy yourself and pursue your passion. Now, this was the approach in Google. And because of that, Gmail was started. And this was the approach in 3M, some organization, where the post-it notes, you know, the post-it notes uh, started. So this is intrinsic motivation, asking the employees to do whatever they want one particular half day in a week. That produces sort of motivation for them to do something new and try and connect it with the organization. And of course, an organization that embraces failure, you know, uh, people will create a lot of you can have a lot of creative ideas, you can implement it, but uh, 8 out of 10 ideas will fail, and you have to be willing to accept that. <clears throat> i already talked about the multidisciplinary approach, and finally uh, thinking outside of the box is difficult for some people. But, you know, we, keep, we need to keep trying. <clears throat> um, in summary, I've talked about uh, I've talked about biblical basis for creativity. I've talked about impact centric thinking rather than organisational centric thinking or process centric thinking. I've talked about challenging our assumptions so that we change our paradigm. I've talked about a grid approach, the random word juxtaposition the provocation approach, the six thinking hats, talked about diffuse thinking and how that helps creativity and chunking up and how that helps creativity. I talked about brainstorming for creating new ideas, and I also talked about the quality of leadership that can foster creativity. Thank you so much. And if there are uh, you know, questions and stuff like that, yeah. <clears throat> Sure not yes. um, <clears throat> I think um, I'm, I, my experience with, is with the Emanuel Hospital Association. Emanuel Hospital Association has got 21 hospitals and 29 projects. That means about 50 institutions. And once a year we meet at, uh, for about 3 to 4 days. And we present our, you know, budgets are approved. There is the the legal necessity of doing that. But all that is done within one day. And for the next three days, we want to, we call it learning from each other. And so people present all that they have learned and they can talk about anything that they want. And this is the time when some kind of brainstorming can happen and some kind of creativity can happen. Um... I think a mission hospital needs to look at, needs to depend on people from outside. You know, sometimes you can't, staying in the mission hospital compound, it's not easy to be creative. You have to connect with uh, people outside, like board members or leaders who uh, want to sort of help you and who are interested in mission. And then, you know, you have uh, times when you can, Challenge your assumptions We have had challenging assumption session in EHA. We have done that and it has been helpful. Uh, we have thought about impact centric thinking, so a lot of these ideas are ideas that we have actually practiced in Emmanuel Hospital Association. No comments. Okay, I can give you an example. <clears throat> In one particular hospital, they were doing a lot of ruptured uterus regularly. You know, a ruptured uterus, uh, it happens because there is no antenatal care and because the lady gets a pitocin injection, you know, and then the uterus contracts and it breaks up. <clears throat> um, and so Initially, people were very happy in the hospital that they were doing, you know, three ruptured uterus a week and four ruptured uterus a week and stuff like that. <clears throat> but uh, the problem was that there was no antenatal care and because and because pitocin was being given. And then they discovered that the women were not being referred because the mother-in-laws did not want to uh, finance, you know, the, going to the hospital and delivering. <clears throat> and so uh, our community health team had to understand this principle. You know, they had to uh, they had to talk to the community people, and and they would get to understand the, the 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 social dynamics about this phenomenon. So the mother-in-law club happened, and then that changed the paradigm. And the mother mothers were being referred to the hospital for treatment. The quacks were being trained not to give petrocyn injections. So that again helped in the, you know, so you can't, you, you will not know this unless you are in the community and understand what is happening to the women. So.
1: <clears throat> With leadership, do you find that giving uh, people in the organization new responsibilities results in creativity because they have new problems to solve?
0: Um, Yes, um, for example, uh, cleaning, you know, the hospital staff that were cleaning, they were called once and asked about how do you think we can help you to do your job better? And they came up with some suggestions. So it's about engaging the staff and asking them about creative solutions to solving their own problems.
1: <coughs> thank you Willard, a very provocative talk uh, I have uh, two questions one is related to what you said about uh, us being so specialized that uh, we do not think broadly the problem with our education Yes. I went to medical school at a very early age and many professionals are coming so we get so focused and specialized that we can't think broadly. I've had to kind of play catch up with history and geography. My question is related to your experience with uh, hospitals and, and actually medical institutions all over the world. Whether there is an attempt within medical institutions to try and broaden this so that the physician has a broader perspective. And secondly, whether this uh, can be done after a person becomes a physician
0: and professional and gets very busy with his or her I don't know if you can address these Yes, yeah, that is just partly addressed in the brainstorming by having people from different disciplines in the brainstorming group you know, you don't simply have people like me who have done the same thing in the group, you have a sociologist, you have a historian, you have a you know, uh, a community organizer. Uh, you can have a legal person, uh, economic person, and an entrepreneur or something. So you know, you have a diverse group. That is just one way of solving the problem you're suggesting. Because then you begin to hear ideas that you've never thought of before, and they give you those ideas. Or you mean in education in- system in- itself? Yeah. Yeah, that that is a big question, how we can change the policies of medical education. Even small things, we are not able to influence the government. So making a change, that sort of drastic change will be very difficult. Okay, thank you folks.